the book of Matthew. If you have your Bibles or your, your devices by which you click or point or whatever and make Bible open up on things, why don't you get that out? We are in the, the book of Matthew. We want to welcome those who are either right now or getting ready to uh, join us with our live feed. Uh, we, are, we, we, we welcome them. We love them. But it, it is more fun to be here. But we're glad that you're there. Uh, that was a particularly more true in first service as I endured sl- a degree of mockery and, and, uh, and teasing. But it's okay. But my wife's here, so now you're going to be nice. Yeah, that's right. So the book of Matthew calls the reader to follow Jesus, to be his disciple. The book of Matthew says, uh, invites, but it's not just an invitation, it's a command, but invites us to discipleship and then explains what discipleship is. So it calls us and then teaches us. We're in the book of Matthew chapter 6. We're right in the middle still on the, of the Sermon on the Mount which is what it's typically called because it starts in chapter 5 where Jesus ascends a mountain, sits down, and calls his disciples to him. He's teaching his disciples. We're at a part in chapter 6 where Jesus is teaching us, uh, his disciples, how to pray. So right in the middle of this, the, the bigger series called Follow Me is this series called How Disciples Pray. Would you all just say it out loud with me? How Disciples Pray. So he's taught us about how we pray, and he's told us that Prayer is not a performance for other people. It's not a formula. But on the other hand, but, uh, we actually pray to our Heavenly Father. And we saw last week that our Heavenly Father knows our needs even before we ask. And the very fact that He knows us and knows our need should really just draw us irresistibly to Him in prayer. There should be no hesitation for us to run quickly to Him. That that we pray to our Father, we, are, when we delight in His name, and we are seeking for His name to be known, both through what He does and through what we do, that both through His actions and ours, His name will be revealed and reverenced. That's how the, the prayer has begun so far. And again, we could uh, go more quickly and just sort of remind people, because it's not likely that any of these particular phrases will... Uh, be brand new. It's not like most people in the room are going to say, my gosh, I've never heard that sentence before. Uh, You've heard the disciples' prayer, the Lord's prayer. You've sung it. You've heard it sung. You've heard it in choirs. You people, even people that don't have any idea where it comes from could probably say most of it. It's that culturally familiar. But again, the point is not for us just to remind ourselves of what is familiar, but for us to allow the very words of Jesus to fall upon our hearts and our lives, our minds, in a fresh way, that we would be crushed in a sweet way. We would be deeply and powerfully impacted, affected by these words. And it's my deepest prayer that that we would open our hearts and lives to the voice of the Holy Spirit, that we would be just 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 whelmed, just waylaid by the force and the the depth, the the sh- just honestly, every one of these are amazing, every one of them are. And I, and I, but once again, now verse 10, I have to say it again. Verse 10 is total shock and awe. It is nowhere near as sweet and pleasant and quiet as, as the song makes it sound. You know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. No, no, it's way bigger than that. This is about shock and awe. Are you ready? Here it is. In verse 10, we will see that disciples are supposed to pray big. 
Somebody said pray big. Not just pray big, but pray really big. What we see in verse 10 is that we pray big. One more time, say it. There is a pray big. Pray big. This is Jesus teaches that, as, that his disciples pray for nothing less than heaven on earth. You don't, I, you don't have to. This is Jesus. I'm just looking for who wants to believe him. Jesus, this is praying big. Somebody say it again. Pray big. Pray big. Oh, you got to pray more than bless this munch as we munch our lunch. You got to pray. That is not how disciples pray. Disciples look up into heaven and grab on with both hands and pull down. We pray big. Here's what it says. Now, in the, in the English uh, versions of your Bibles, these are almost always the same. Almost no translation modifies it much. It should say something like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's pretty much the standard English version. There's a couple of modifications. Eugene Peterson's Message Bible modifies it as a paraphrase, but he gets the gist of it. The, some other versions... Um, the translators, in an attempt to just be more reverent, probably, uh, unnecessarily so, but because these are the words of Jesus, they're, they, they're almost like they're apologizing for Jesus. <laughs> they're almost like saying, ooh, Jesus is speaking pretty aggressive here. We need to kind of slow it down, kind of muffle it. And uh, so you're, you might find a version that says, uh, may your kingdom come and may your will be done. And, and, and it's sort of like a curtsy to, you know... Uh, and it sounds like, oh, that's, that's a little better. But these are the words of Jesus, and Jesus doesn't uh, give us this sort of a curtsy prayer. The, the words that Jesus give us actually are a demand. Now, this is how disciples pray. He's teaching us how to pray. So if you don't do it his way, you're disobeying. Well, I don't really feel comfortable. Well, then you don't feel comfortable obeying. So here's that, and as a matter of fact, the, the English is fine, but the, the Greek is shocking. It's just, here it is. Here's the, we're going to break this down three parts today. We're just going to look at each phrase, and we're going to hear them in the original. Here's what they are ahead of time, and then we'll walk through each of them. But here's how it actually sounds in the Greek. Come, your kingdom. Be done, your will. As in heaven, so on earth. That's a lot more aggressive, and that's the way it is. So let's start at the, the first line. Jesus teaches us to pray, and he says, come, your kingdom. Oh, everybody say it out loud. Come, your kingdom. This word kingdom, in, the, in our, our English, kingdom, we tend to think of kingdom, and perhaps many of you went right to the magic kingdom. You know, you thought of a, a castle somewhere in Anaheim. Uh, it's a place, we think of kingdom as a place where you go. It's a place to go. It's a place. But Basalia, which is the Greek word there, Basalia is not a place. It's a power. It's not a realm somewhere. It's a reign. A, a better word for us in our English vernacular, our better word to translate Basalia very accurately is the word dominion. You could say, your dominion come. 
That should make a little bit more of a Mufasa right there. <laughs> Your dominion. We're calling for, we are, we are calling for the active reign of God. And in the New Testament, we understand that that reign is actually the prevailing influence of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God can rightly be understood as the dominion of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit coming in prevailing influence upon our hearts, our lives, and upon a place. It is the presence, the, 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 the Byzantine Orthodox mystics said, the kingdom of God is nothing less, nothing else than the very presence of God. This cry for his kingdom to come is not uh, primarily an, an eschatological request. Eschatological request. Uh, it is not a request for something to happen in the future. Many of your study Bibles, rightly, they're, they're good people, but many of your study Bibles or commentaries will say, oh, Jesus is teaching us to pray for the consummation. He's teaching us to, he wants us to pray for, like it should sound something like this, Lord, we ask that, we, we ask that you would expedite the, the return, the, the parousia, the return of Christ, and the, what we see in Revelation 21, 22, what we see the, 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 the full eschaton, the, 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 the perfect reign of God, heaven and earth are, are remade and all of that. That is the fullest and greatest expression of God's dominion. Amen. Not, that was like Seth would say, a malaria amen. Okay? That was not a good amen. Okay? We are, our ultimate hope is the, the return of Christ and the eternal reign of God. Amen. amen. That is the total dominion where, where he wipes away every, every tear from our eyes and darkness is gone and death is gone. There's no sighing. There's no mourning. There, all of it's gone. There's no sea, no against, no, nothing against the water. But remember, there's no, nothing to be afraid of. There's no darkness at all. There's only light. I mean, this is the perfection. This is the perfect and foremost expression of the kingdom. Yes, we want that. Yes, that is coming. But no, that's not what Jesus is saying specifically to pray for. Because the Greek allows, in the vernacular of the Greek, there's, perfect, there's plenty of, of opportunity for a future tense request. Future. There's, a, there, there's a tense in Greek, future tense. But this is not that. This is actually just a straight-up imperative, which means that this request is not, Lord, someday let the castle in the sky come. This is urgent and immediate come your kingdom right right do you know when we need the dominion of the spirit now and we'll need more of it in the next now the dominion of the spirit is for now so and the grammar not only is it urgent and immediate the syntax also, the structure of the sentence, now this might not sound too exciting, but I, it really is. It's an aorist imperative, which means that it is, it is a command that something should begin that hasn't started yet. Now that's not for us to, don't, don't overinterpret that to mean, oh, oh, he, God's, God isn't in charge yet. No, no, he's, he's God, he has been, I'm not going to stop that. The idea is 
that Jesus is connecting the advancement of the, of the Spirit's influence. He is connecting the, the prevailing influence of the Spirit. He is connecting the, 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 the power, the influence, the coming of the kingdom directly. He is connecting it directly to the prayers of the saints. It would be like this. I use this illustration for a service. It just makes perfect sense. It, the, the, the way this Arist imperative works is if, uh, if, if your little ones, their room is not clean. Huh? Right? You would give them an Arist imperative. You would say, clean your room. That means it's not clean, and you haven't started cleaning it yet, but I want you to do it now. That is exactly what the aorist imperative is. He's, Jesus is telling his disciples, that's how you should pray. With, that, that is the urgency, that is the expectation, and that is how important your prayers are. The, the, the movement, the engagement of heaven on earth is contingent upon the prayers of the saints. That's what Jesus says. Now, we see that in the book of Revelation. We see John seeing images and pictures of, of angels picking up bowls of intercession. Your prayers, your words, your heart, your tears. And these angels take these bowls, and they, they go past a veil, and they bring them right into the face of God. And then they turn around, and they take those things, and they throw those back on earth. And we see this rhythm over and over again, that the prayers of the saints ascend, and heaven engages earth because of the prayers of the saints. Somebody say, come, your kingdom. Okay, so that's the idea that this is, this is urgent and this is contingent upon our prayers. We understand that we're talking about a dominion of the Spirit, but what's that look like? What's that mean? What does the dominion of the Spirit mean? Well, uh, it is that, that idea is elaborated or explained in the next phrase. The, the next sentence is, or the next phrase isn't a change of subject. It's a progression of one thought. So come, your kingdom. The very next thought is, be done your will. Oh, everybody say it out loud. Be done your will. Now this, when it, so again, when we hear the word will, or, and we've heard this, thy will be done. Okay, I need to take a, hang on. Whew. See, and I, like many of you, I've been in church more than a couple of days. And I've heard a couple of things, just like many of you. And we've heard, some of you have heard, that this, that this, well, thy will be done, that it kind of sounds like, well, okay, sirrah, sirrah, whatever will be, will be. Well, thy will be done. It's almost interpreting Jesus saying, your kingdom come, and after that, Lord, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to stand back and watch, you know, Jesus take the wheel. As if thy will be done is some sort of a, a statement of, I'm going to just resolve and be passive and just accept whatever it is. I'm, not, I'm just going to be resigned to fate. Let fate have its way. <laughs> no, absolutely not. It is, it is the antithesis. It is the opposite of that. The feel, remember the feel of this? Come, your kingdom. Be done, your will. When we pray, your will be done, that is a prayer, that is a demand for whatever is to change and to comply with the will of God. When we pray, your will be done, we are insisting that the circumstances of earth yield to the will of heaven. 
We are insisting. We are insisting that it change. Let your preference, let your purpose, let what you desire come to be. The will of God does not happen through observation, but by participation. I pray, I declare, and then I obey. I get right in there. I become as involved with and as committed to the will of God as heaven is. I can't pray, thy will be done, and live in disobedience. Thy will be done, except for me. I will be done, except for I'm going to do my own thing. No, your, let, your, let, it be, let your will be, and let it begin with me. What does it look like? What is his will? His will. His kingdom, his dominion, is a, means that his will is being done. His dominion means his will is being done. But So then what does his will mean? We could be really simple and just say, well, his, his will is pretty much right here. Okay, there's four of you. The God's, God's will is in the Bible. What? Well, if that's a new thought, congratulations. We've all learned something today. Okay, But you, you, you could hold up the Bible and say, this is his will. You could look at the person of Jesus and say, that is the will of God. Jesus said it. Everything I do is exactly an expression of, the, of what the Father's saying, what the Father's doing. Jesus is perfect theology. He's the perfect expression of the will of God. He's the icon. He's all the things. He's the things. He's the things. Okay? In the last days, God has spoken to us by his son. He is the final word of who God is. All of that's true. Yes? yes. But we can be even more specific today, just a little bit more specific. Um, it, the, the New Testament helps us understand that the, the will of God has at least two dimensions to it. They are the same or two expressions. Both expressions, again, are a result of the Holy Spirit because the, Holy, the, the, the kingdom is the prevailing influence of the Spirit. You with me? The kingdom is the prevailing influence of the spirit. So what is the will? The will of God then should be, should, is that which is affected by, influenced by, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And in the New Testament, we see there are at least two expressions of that. One is moral. There's a moral expression of the kingdom. You might say ethical, moral, ethical, behavioral. Okay. There's a moral expression and a militant expression. Oh, militant? It's been a few years since I've talked about the church militant because militant makes people nervous. What? <sighs> yes, but the kingdom of God is not passive. It might, be, it's, it might be kind, but it is militant. It is powerful. Heaven has always had an agenda on earth. Always. Open up, open up your Bible. Look at the very first thing. The earth is formless, dark, Void, and heaven says, I got a plan. Let there be light. Let there be balance. Let there be fruit. Let there be life. Right? Heaven has always had an agenda here. All right. But now let's take a look at some of these passages. Ben doesn't know what to do. I, I'm not ahead of myself, Ben, but thanks for putting all those up. They can write them down and look at them. Okay? Uh, when, we say, when we say that the kingdom has a moral agenda or a moral expression, what we mean is that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives in, to affect a, a morality, a, an ethic, a lifestyle that is pleasing to God, that is in agreement with the nature of God. So that's why we see this. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, 
The Apostle Paul writes, For the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't eat and drink as Christians. Thank God that we do. Okay? He is saying that you don't reduce, reduce our Christian morality to what you do or do not eat or do or do not drink, but rather Christian morality or the expression of the Spirit, the dominion of the Spirit in our lives must look like this. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. All three of those things, that the way the grammar is, all three of those things are a result of the, uh, the influence of the Holy Spirit. He is working in our lives to produce and to make us walk in righteousness. He is working in our lives to produce the very peace of Christ and the joy of the Lord. Those things, you say, what is, what is God's will? Righteousness. What is God's will? Peace. What is God's will? Joy. Then in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, another a passage that's quite familiar to many. We call it the fruit of the Spirit passage. You know, you've made little lanyards or little stickers on your, a magnet on your fridge. Okay? But the, the 522 is, is, is also about what the dominion of the Spirit looks like and the will of God. Listen to how this lays out. The, the last phrase helps us see something really cool. But the fruit of the Spirit or the result of the Spirit's influence in your life is the result of the Spirit's influence in your life. It's the Holy Spirit in your life producing what is in accord with the will of God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Then the last part, against such things, there is no law. Well, what? What? What do you mean against such things there is no law? That's just sort of a, 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 a rhetorical way of saying living this way is living in complete agreement with the will of God. Living this way, you, you essentially, he's essentially saying living that way, you break no laws. Living according to this influence is how you live in, com, in not just complying with but committed to the very will of God. So his will in our lives has that moral expression, righteousness, peace, joy. And then all of the, the what Paul uses, that, that, the, the rhetorical nine to, to, to expand, to help us understand that we can live by the Spirit and he produces a character in our lives that is in total agreement with his will. But there's more. Yeah. There's this militant expression of the kingdom. We said heaven has always had an agenda on earth that is to advance heaven's influence and to drive out the presence and influence of darkness. Make no mistake. Your kingdom come or come your kingdom is a call for the continuing invasion of heaven. Come your kingdom is a a call for heaven to continue to invade earth. Well, huh? Yes, look here. First of all, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20, he says, for the kingdom of God, the dominion of the Spirit, does not just consist in words, but in power. This is not just a moral or sanctifying or character influence, but it is an expression of the very power of God. Dominion. Dominion. 
the Lord Jesus, when he is sending out his, uh, his apostles early in the book of Matthew, we'll get there, we'll see it independently, but Jesus says this, listen to the, the rhythm here. He's telling him that them in, in chapter 10, as you go, preach, announce, herald. As you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's your message. You're declaring the dominion of the Spirit. You're praying for it, and you're proclaiming it. The dominion of the Spirit, the kingdom of God, God's domain, God's rule is here. God's rule is here. That's your, that's your, that, that's your proclamation. And then the very next thing is you demonstrate, you, you actualize in their midst the dominion of, of heaven. What's that look like? Here it is. Listen. As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. That's the, that's the flow of the kingdom. We receive it generously and give it away as such. But the announcement of the kingdom is to be accompanied by a confrontation of suffering. The announcement of the kingdom is accompanied by confrontation of suffering, the driving out of darkness. Matthew chapter 12, verses 28, the Pharisees had been upset with Jesus. They accused him of partnering with Beelzebub and whatnot. But here's what he says. It's a correction for them, but it's a revelation for us. Jesus says, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. First of all, that tells us how demons leave, why they leave. They get displaced. There is a Holy Spirit that drives out unclean spirit. It doesn't happen otherwise. There's no formula, no abracadabra, no you can light your candles and do all your nonsense. That's nonsense. But but again, all of this is the dominion of the Spirit. All of it. So he says, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me in such power to express God's dominion and therefore activate His will. If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. If the Holy Spirit is working to drive out darkness and confront suffering, then that is the sign that you know the kingdom, the dominion of God is on the move. God's will has these moral and militant expressions, both of them as a, as a result of the Spirit's influence and empowering. He affects my attitudes. He empowers my actions in order that I may do, participate with His will. Now the question is, to what extent? Okay. I understand that Jesus is saying I am to call for the dominion of the Spirit, the dominion of God to come and prevail. I understand that what that, that, that dominion looks like His will being done, and there's moral and militant expressions of that. I get that. But how much am I supposed to expect? What is the measure of my hope? How much should I hope for? What should I contend for? What should I settle for? What are we aiming at? Your will be done. How much? How far? To what degree? Where do I look? What's my standard? Again, 
He's not changing the subject. He's finishing the thought. The very last line is that. On earth as it is in heaven. Everybody say it out loud. On earth as it is. But now let's say it the way, or hear it anyway, the way it is in the Greek. As in heaven, so on earth. Ooh, say it with me. That's a good Mufasa right there. You want to try it? As in heaven, so on earth. Or he's saying, like it is in heaven, let it also. Like that, let it be like that here. Ooh, that's the words there. The word is as, it's it's hos, as, in the same way, and kai, also, as, also, as, also. (laughs) That's the rhythm. As a matter of fact, I haven't told you this, but that's the rhythm of the whole book of Matthew. It's a regal gospel, and the whole thing is as, so. And and one of the first things we see is that our our, our prayer life is as, so. (laughs) Just try it with me. As so. What's that mean? That means for the disciples of Jesus, heaven is our frame of reference. For the disciples of Jesus, heaven is our frame of reference. Heaven is the standard for our hope. That is the most reality-shifting statement ever. It absolutely should transform our lives. We say when we look when we when we look around our lives and we say, well, how should it be? What should be normal? What should I expect? Where should I aim? Where do my values come from? What is the standard for my hope? The answer is heaven. What? This thing. the, The problem is this. People, including believers, because they're people, people in general, their frame of reference is determined by many other things. They have a standard that's based elsewhere. And it's somewhat normal. That's not supposed to be. It's just I'm telling you what is. But what is has to change. Many people, their, their frame of reference, their standard for hope, their frame of reference is comes from the media and popular culture they look around and they see whatever comes through the the cable or whatever comes through the satellite or whatever is passing through their their feed on their whatever whatever if someone's tweeting or or uh, instaing or snapping okay whatever whatever is going through whatever's trending whatever is trending is automatically assumed to be the standard of what is. Whatever is trending is true. And, and then we measure our expectations against that. If more and more programming or film depicts the total decay of family, that's, that's normal. If there's friction and strife, snark and sarcasm, that's normal. It is typical for people to use the world around them, the, the media and the, cultural, the culture around them, to determine their frame of reference or to establish some kind of standard. The church, and I, and I, and I, don't, I don't like to say the church like, like I'm complaining, but what I mean is 
statistically, North American uh, kind of uh, church practice, has, at least for the last few decades, has sort of uh, almost advocated, like, okay, here is the culture. Let's see how much we can accommodate to it without quite adapting to it, without quite becoming it. And so what we've done is we've had to say, okay, here's the standard, the, the standard of the culture. What, let's, 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 we don't want to offend people. We don't want to drive them away, right? So we don't want to be you know, unknowable. So what we'll do is we'll set our standard right about here. We're still above. Hey, we're above the, the world. You know, we're, we're in the world, not of it. Hallelujah, right? Okay? So we have this standard like this. So, and so let's just say we, they do that. But then what happens is with every generation, and sometimes much faster, the, the decay of the world following that, that principle that I always have to ask Dr. Zeff about, that physics principle, the law of decay, even society has this moral decay. Every generation that decay continues, but the, our strategy remains the same. And so within two or three generations, our standard is far and above below what even the cultural standard was a generation before. And what happens among, that is foolish, it is ineffective, it is corrupt, but one of the greatest problems is, is that if anything else but heaven is our standard, it leads to the gradual and increasing degradation of our hope. Hope decays. Because we measure our hope against a continually decaying standard. If anything else but heaven is our standard, we're backsliding. But, when heaven becomes our frame of reference. We realize that whatever it is or whatever has been, it does not have to stay that way. It probably isn't supposed to be that way. Heaven as a frame of reference gives me hope that is immutable, unchanging, and resplendent. There is a blueprint, there is a design, and it's heaven. And that is what we are contending for. It's our identity, it's our destiny, it's our frame of reference, it's His will. And we contend for that. That is the determination, that is the standard of our hope. And that is the idea is that I'm praying it in this aorist imperative. That means I'm starting right now believing that. It, I, you can say, is it too late? No, it's never too late. It doesn't matter how long it's been this way. It doesn't have to stay that way because that's not your standard of hope. It doesn't matter if there's been divorce after divorce after breakdown in your family line. It doesn't have to stay that way. You can reverse that. It doesn't matter how long strife has existed in your home. That's not the standard. It doesn't matter. You might say, well, I've already failed. It's already you. Failure is not final when heaven is your standard. It can't be. It can't be. It doesn't matter if they say it's incurable. Our standard is heaven. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. 
You've got to hope again. You might say, oh, I tried hope. Then you have, you have a, if you say, I've tried hope, you have attached your hope to something temporal and passing. But if you fasten your hope to the reality of heaven, then no matter what happens, no matter what setback, no matter what heartbreak, no matter if you get disappointed, no matter what, it's temporary. It doesn't matter what ain't, let me say it this way with horrible language, it don't matter what ain't right because it's all temporary. Heaven is irresistible. Irresistible. Anything else contrary to the will of God is temporary because this train is bound for glory, this train. There is a reality that is coming that is going to fundamentally transform the cosmos. And there's nothing you can do about it. So you might as well get on the right side now. Fasten your hope to heaven. That's the extent. Heaven is the standard. Heaven is the standard to the degree to the, the extent that the earth, all of it, is affected. Honestly, if you go outside today, it is like the perfect August day. Not too hot, not even cold, sun's out. I think the clouds will disappear by the afternoon. We live in, it's just rained. We live in this Beulah land. It's no, it's not, there, I was talking with someone first, first service who said, in Broken Arrow, the heat index was 113. You know, it's like, you, I said, you know what, we should take people on short trips there just to lead them in a salvation prayer. <laughs> if you want to escape anything like this, say this prayer, okay? But here we are in Vancouver, here we are in this, you know, there's, our streets are not, our, our streets at night are not filled with the sound of sirens and alarms. Gunshots aren't ringing through all of our neighborhoods. They're, we're not living in a war zone. Our neighbors aren't shooting at us with rockets. You know what I'm saying? We, it's, it might be somewhat easy for us to go, yep, on earth as it is in heaven. Whoop, not much more to go. It's pretty close already. But we need to understand that the, that the disciples have a larger view than just their immediate area. Really, the, the mission of heaven includes places on earth right now that are dark and under despair and are, that are war-torn and poverty-stricken and sick and dying, and heaven has an agenda there. But that agenda is contingent first upon the prayers of the disciples. We are to keep praying until you cannot tell the difference. Well, that just seems like a big, big prayer. Pray big. Pray big. As disciples of Jesus, we are to keep believing and keep praying until all of earth reflects heaven. To where, to where wherever we go, babies are born. And marriages are stewarded and sacred. And children are valued and protected. And broken hearts are mended. And captives are set free. And the blind receive sight. And lepers are cleansed. And the deaf, the deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor hear the good news. That is his kingdom. That is his will. 
And all of it begins with and depends upon how disciples pray for heaven on earth. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. I want to ask you to use your sanctified imaginations with me this morning. I want you to think about in your lives... When Jesus fed the, the multitudes, he said, have them sit in groups of 50. The disciples saw what could have been a crowd of 15,000. And sometimes, basically, it's, sometimes it's hard for our faith to, to get its arms around that kind of a project. So he said, well, have them, have them get in groups of 50. Give them some bite-sized faith. So if this is a prayer that says the whole earth is supposed to be influenced and affected by heaven, that might be a, a big a big prayer for you to quite get your arms around this morning. But I think you could probably get your arms around something specific. A circumstance in your life, your family, your extended family, your city. Perhaps something's very, maybe even a, a, a specific thing that the Lord is putting on your heart, a problem or an opportunity. The Lord is pressing on your heart. Can you just see it for a moment? See it and meditate on it and think about it. And make this your prayer today. Look at that circumstance and say, Come, your kingdom. Be done, your will. As in heaven, so on earth. Let heaven be the standard of your own. As you pray for it, dominion.